0: welcome to football with grant wall thanks so much for joining me today's interview guest is bob lee the legendary broadcaster who spent 40 years at espn you can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my new newsletter at grantwall.com it has all my writing including on location stories for every u.s men's world cup qualifier i can't tell you how much i appreciate your support with that Before we get to Bob Lee, let's start with some talk about the soccer weekend with my friend Chris Whittingham, who you can hear on Univision, Paramount Plus, Inter-Miami Radio, the Dan Lebitard Show, and a probably a bunch of other places. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you?
1: <laughs> still recovering from, I believe we're going to get to this later. I saw it in the rundown, an Atlanta United-DC United game that I did yesterday for Univision. One of the best MLS games I've probably ever done. So uh, yeah, still, still recovering from that and detoxing with some NFL.
0: I definitely want to hear more details from your perspective on calling that game. I love it, by the way. I do a fist pump whenever I see like the official MLS Twitter account Uh, post your goal call in English from the Univision (laughs) broadcast, and you had a few in that game.
1: Yeah, five, and all of them were excellent. It's (laughs) unbelievable how how good that game was just in terms of the raw goal scored. Uh, The two DC United goals, they felt like consolation goals, and yet they're both absolutely... You know, incredible wonder strikes uh, from Felipe Martins and, and uh, Edison Flores of DC United. So, yeah, that was a brilliant game.
0: Um, I do want to start, though, with England, Tottenham nil, Chelsea 3. If I had to pick one team now to win the Premier League, I know who it would be. It would be Chelsea. Chelsea is still not giving up a goal in the run of play in the league. And I'm sitting here asking myself the question, how on earth... Did Thomas Tuchel lose his job at PSG?
1: Well, I I think it's because managing PSG might be impossible. I, <laughs> I I really and look, he got to the Champions League final, a place that no other coach has gotten before. But I think managing that club is next to impossible, and specifically like implementing a style of play that is more inherent to the manager as opposed to the stars, I think is going to be really hard for any coach. I think Mauricio Pochettino is going to experience it this year. How do you build a style around Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe that's anything other than, well, let's try and get them the ball. Let's try and you know cool the temperature of the game. You can't be a high-pressing team. You can't (laughs) implement crazy defensive tactics when you have three players who don't defend. So I do think that managing that club is impossible. But to your previous point, I do think that Chelsea, when they win titles, in my experience... It's like this. It's they feel inevitable that you feel like the goal is coming, you feel like the opposition is not going to score once they have scored. It's the kind of strength in the quality of their chancing and their of their chances created and their finishing. And then when they get a lead they're not going to concede. They're not really going to give up that many good chances. And when you looked at their fixture list, their first seven matches on paper looked incredibly difficult. And yet they've emerged from it with four wins and a draw. And who knows what they could have gotten from Anfield if they didn't have Rhys James sent off. So the quality of their performance has been really good. I would say save for the Champions League, actually, I didn't think they were that great against Zenit Saint Petersburg in the week. But they win one nil. And you, like the the cliche is, you win games even when you're playing poorly. And I think Chelsea have at times done that this season. But man, they are so strong in a way that they haven't been since they won the league with Antonio Conte a few years ago.
0: It's totally night and day compared to Frank Lampard, just in terms of defensive structure. Uh, And I I will say, Thiago Silva scored today, and not just for the goal. I mean, this guy is one of the great defenders of the last 20 years. Uh, I wasn't totally sold when he signed with Chelsea, thought he might have been too old. I don't think he is. You know, he can still bring it. And... Just the the way that collective defending works, very impressive. Today, they actually scored some goals. Rudiger had a nice finish. Uh, and on a day when Lukaku didn't score, they were still in... You now, Chelsea was totally in control the entire second half.
1: Well, I also think this has something to do with the way that Nuno is managing Tottenham Hotspur. I guess maybe I was just blind during his era with Wolves, but I remember when they first arrived in the Premier League. Like, I didn't think of them as defensive as bunkering and counter. I remember them riding the wave of Molyneux, and I remember them, you know, using their crowd to their advantage and kind of surging at teams and being incredibly competitive. And yet. This Spurs team is exactly, even when they you know, they beat Manchester City, I would say, after withstanding an onslaught for 20 minutes, in the subsequent games, they were just really strong defensively. But it's kind of a continuation of the Jose Mourinho era. They're not fun to watch. They haven't been for two and a half years. This is not the Tottenham Hotspur way. And it's nice when you're getting results. But when you're just kind of pathetically going out at home to Chelsea, when you're kind of pathetically going out away to Crystal Palace, like what's the point? I don't understand, like, what, like why are they playing like this? They have so much better players than
0: this. I am with you on on the countering, and, and that appears to be how Nunu wants to be approaching games like this. I actually don't think Spurs was terrible today. Mm. I mean, they had moments in the first half when, when they actually had the better of the play, I thought. But I, I, I'm kind of going to get used, I think, to seeing sad Harry Kane, at yeah. least in games when they just aren't the better team like this one. And, you know, Spurs may do okay this year. They, you know, I still think they're better than a lot of the teams in the Premier League, but they really just got totally phased out of the game in the second half today. And it Mm -hmm. didn't really look like they were going to come back and they didn't. Control is the word I would use with this Chelsea approach. And I I just think they're going to be awfully difficult. You know, I know they're, I guess, level on on points with Man United and Liverpool, but you know, and, and that's a, a nice seg maybe into our next game here, which is Man United winning two to one at West Ham United on sort of a crazy ending to this game with insane David De Gea saving a penalty for the first time in any any situation since 2016 on Mark Noble, who. Literally, that was his first touch of the game. The dude didn't even warm up. David Moyes has this supposed, you know, like what he, I'm sure he thought was a brilliant idea, like, uh, you know, like when Louis Van Gaal would bring in the goalkeeper for penalties. Yeah, the, the, the
1: reverse Jasper Sillison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it goes so wrong. And, you know, it, it, and it, it makes the difference in the end between a tie and a man United win. Uh, Jesse Lingard, after costing United points midweek in Champions League with a terrible back pass taken advantage of by Jordan Pifok at Young Boys makes up for it a little bit here with the game winning goal and just kind of a wild week for Jesse Lingard I have to admit when he came on I wasn't too thrilled I thought when he came on for Pogba my initial reaction was that's not a good decision Mm -hmm. proves me wrong scores the winning goal What do you make of Man United in this game and and right now in general?
1: Well, I I do think in some ways they've got a little bit of that Chelsea thing going where because they have Ronaldo and because of the strength that they have, they're able to come back in games. And even when they're not playing poorly, you still kind of feel like they have a chance. You don't feel like you've totally put them away, but... I just don't think they have the same kind of solidity at the back that Chelsea do. And I just don't think they're as strong. I think, you know, losing away to young boys in the Champions League does reveal that there are problems. West Ham probably should have gotten something from this game. That's an incredible decision from David Moyes. Uh, you mentioned uh, no penalties save for David Eyes since 2016. I was kind of cross referencing the transfer mark numbers. He has, according to them, conceded 25 penalties since he last saved one. Mark Noble in his career according to their website, scored 38, missed four in his Premier League career before this one. So you can understand the decision, but <laughs> man, to bring a guy cold off the bench, Saeed Ben Rama already had a goal in the game, surprised he didn't go for him. But yeah, I, I do think that Manchester United have a little bit of that magic again, the, the Fergie time magic again. They did so much last year coming from behind. I mean, I think I, I remember at one point looking in the league table, and there's one website that does a at-halftime league table. And I think Manchester United at halftime were like 14th in the Premier League last year mm. at one point in the season. But after halftime, they were one of the best you know teams in the league. They're really good at coming from behind. They do have some of that spirit that the old Manchester United teams have. I just think you want to see better quality of play over the 90 minutes. I thought West Ham were competitive and should have gotten something from
0: the game. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I want to switch over to Germany right now where our old friend Jesse Marsh... Had a, another drop point situation in the Bundesliga, 1-1 at Cologne. Another tough week for Leipzig and, and for Jesse. And they had the 6-3 loss in Champions League at Man City. They got a terrible draw for Champions League with City and PSG, obviously. But this game against Cologne was supposed to be the start of Leipzig getting some wins. They've got a, a stretch ahead in the Bundesliga where... You think wins should be possible. And they had to come back even to get it to 1-1. And I I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, how much longer will Jesse Marsh last? I don't know. Like, I'm not talking to his bosses at Leipzig. But I I do know this is a team that aspires to be very much in the top four in the Bundesliga. (sighs) You know, Derek Ray had a good tweet thread about all of this today, Sunday, where, you know, he he got into like, you don't see a lot of in-season managerial changes, head coach changes in the Bundesliga as much as you do in other leagues. But it does happen. And and in the end, it is a results-oriented business. And so, yeah, I'm starting to get a little concerned about Uh, about Jesse Marsh at Leipzig.
1: And there was also, I saw a report from Build this week about the contrasting style of plays between, the styles of play, excuse me, between Jesse Marsh and Julian Nagelsmann. And there apparently is a clamoring within the Leipzig camp for, can we just keep a little bit more possession? We're obviously playing very direct and playing very aggressive in in the mold of a Jesse Marsh team. And they kind of got used to playing in the Nagelsmann way, which is actually not terribly red bully, to be honest. I think part of the reason why Jesse Marsh has that job it's because he wants to bring back that very typical of Red Bull style of play that we see from the New York Red Bulls uh, very often, which is high pressing in that four-four-two diamond look. They go at you, they're playing direct, they're playing quick, they're playing forward, and Nagelsmann kind of had them playing a little bit differently to try and evolve their style a little bit. I think some of the players want that back. There apparently also was in that report a little bit of uh, an indication that maybe Jesse Marsh is playing favorites with certain uh, certain players that he's had previously, like Tyler Adams, like Dominic Shoboslay, who he had at Salzburg. So uh, he's got some political situations to figure out as well on top of obviously the stylistic and the tactical ones. Really, I I guess you can say that Leipzig were at least competitive. They scored three goals at the Etihad against Manchester City, but when you can see. Eating six—it's an indication of you're leaving your defenders on an island. These are two brand new defenders. It was Konate and Upamecano Upa last year, and now you're bringing in new center backs. You're kind of changing the look of it, and you're just putting them in terrible positions defensively. And so, it does Jesse Marsh need to evolve, or is it just let's improve, let's put our heads down and get better, and kind of go through a very difficult period?
0: Another difficult period for an American manager in Europe. You know, I, when I spoke to Jesse when I was there in Leipzig last month, he. Talked at length, and this was included in the story I wrote on my site. Um, he was doing things, wanting to do things very differently than Nogglesman to to do what you were saying. And he was straight up about this. I'm I'm trying to restore more of sort of the pure Red Bull way. Uh, Nogglesman has been was much more about positional play, about once you win the ball, actually having some possession instead of once you win the ball attack and transition now, now, now. And so I do wonder if, you know, the way Jesse looks at this stuff, if he's going to go down, he wants to go down doing it his way. And, And I think right now the results they're getting are making it harder and harder for him to really push through his way. And I do wonder if he might let up on that a little bit. Um, but we'll see, you know, it, it's still somewhat early in the season, but he's certainly at a point in the Bundesliga in particular where he needs to get some results. And his next game in Champions League is against Bruges. And, you know, that's a different deal. You got to get some points from that game, too. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, I want to get now to the game you called in MLS, Atlanta 3, DC United 2, as you said, really fun game. And I am starting to wonder, is is Atlanta United back? Is Joseph Martinez back? What's happening under Gonzalo Pineda, their new coach, that seems to be revealing the Atlanta of old?
1: Well, I, I do think that they are opening up and attacking a lot more than they used to. Even, you know, Gabriel Heinze was kind of brought in with the promise that he would be an attacking, free-flowing manager. But everything that you read is that every player got incredibly specific instructions and there was no freedom to operate from within that. You had to do exactly what Gabriel Heinz wanted, whereas Rob Valentino kind of gave them the freedom and Gonzalo Pineda is trying to work out that balance in between and they figured it out. They've been able to attack In a free flowing manner, they've scored 10 goals in their last three games under Gonzalo Pineda. And, you know, they gave us some goals in this past game, but they kept clean sheets against Orlando and against Cincinnati. And their stars are performing. And that includes Ezekiel Barco as well, who was an incredible disappointment for several years in MLS. And I think it's kind of the ultimate indication that if MLS is going to move to this strategy of the under 22 initiative, of incentivizing young players and selling abroad, when you bring players in, you've got to give them time to maybe go through some growing pains. For Barco, it's more than two years. He's been going through growing pains, injuries, and difficulties off the field, but. Now he's flowing and he's scoring tons of goals. He scored again a great free kick in this game. Joseph Martinez is scoring goals again, although I, I still do appreciate that he's incredibly frustrated when he doesn't score goals. There was one where he missed a header who went like high and wide, and afterwards he's like, it's like an inner monologue of coach. like snapping his head because he's not pleased with how it didn't go in. Uh, I, I, I did a game of his like three weeks ago where he ripped his shirt open because he was so mad that he didn't <laughs> score a game. So, an incredibly high standard as ever. The, the player to watch is actually someone who didn't score in this game for Atlanta. Their new signing from Lille, Luis Araujo. What a player he is. What a European quality that he has. He was kind of like the 12th man for Lille. And uh, when they were kind of, you know, pulling apart that team after their change in ownership, Atlanta got in there and and pulled off a coup of... I love watching that guy play. He only played 35 minutes off the bench yesterday, but he is worth the price of admission, that guy.
0: He had a couple of moments where you're just like, oh boy. You know, like this guy is a total player. Welcome to the league. And... I guess we'll see how this plays out. I feel like both DC United and Atlanta are going to make the playoffs. Could end up meeting each other in the playoffs. And I'd look forward to that matchup.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, DC has gotten better over the course of, of this season. And Hernan Lozada is implementing a style of play that is completely different to his predecessor, Ben Olsen. But uh, the notion that Atlanta is going from where they were when they sacked Heinz to where they were when all of the howling began for Darren Niels, for Carlos Bocanegra, and now all of a sudden, they're on the brink of hosting a playoff game, and you're thinking, man, if they climbed up the table, even like Orlando is going through a rough stretch of recording before they play Philadelphia Union today, um, but if they go through... A rough stretch and Atlanta can get into third, maybe even second, eclipsing Nashville, that's not a place you want to go for multiple rounds of the playoffs. That place is going to be hopping. They've got incredible DP players and they're finally living up to their potential. All they ever needed was a good coach. They've got tons of great players because they spent tons of money. It makes sense that they have a good team. So uh, so the fact that they're finally living up to that potential makes sense and is a real credit to Gonzalo Pineda.
0: Now, I know you're going to be going on vacation uh, for a short vacation next weekend. Are, do you have any games you're calling this week before you take off? Uh,
1: yeah, I have Inter-Miami home with Nashville on Wednesday uh, for for the uh, radio commentary. That's a big one for Miami. Uh, 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 coming back to Earth uh, with a defeat 4-0 to the Red Bulls last Friday. So Miami needs a win against Nashville is a tough a tough team to beat and they're about to go for four straight on the road so Miami could really do with a victory before they begin that road trip
0: and how do people sort of nationally is it possible to listen to your radio broadcast
1: yeah yeah so on the inter miami website i usually tweet out the link before it goes live okay. but uh, it's on, on the inter miami website and the club's app obviously you wouldn't download the inter miami app just to listen to me and actually this past friday our broadcast was on sirius xm fc so occasionally uh as part of like their deal they they carry local broadcasts of games we were on sirius xm last friday
0: good stuff hardest working man in soccer chris whittingham <laughs> thanks for coming on the show thanks grant now here's my interview with bob lee our guest now is a legend in American sports broadcasting, including soccer broadcasting. Bob Lee spent 40 years at ESPN, and his work with soccer goes all the way back to the New York Cosmos in the 1982 World Cup and many World Cups since. Bob, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Oh, this is a pleasure to reconnect with you. Thank you. And, and, and I will tell you that I was, when I was connected with them and they played in New Jersey and it was just Cosmos. And as a Jersey kid, I'll tell you, we're very particular about it. No, no, no. New York, you got to pay a toll at the tunnel. We're in Jersey.
0: (laughs) It was so great. I got a text message from you last week after the U.S. World Cup qualifier in Honduras, where once upon a time in 2009, you helped me get my head straight after I got mugged there. You weren't even um, robbed at gunpoint.
2: Let's <laughs> live at the record show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you really helped me and, and were, it was awesome. I appreciated the support, but it also showed me that text message, you're still paying attention to soccer, right? Uh, as much as, yeah, I, I, certainly you know in this qualifying window, as
2: much as you can. And uh, it was fun to hear you uh, talking to Landon from San Pedro Sula, a city that I've been fortunate to visit a couple of times. And it's an experience down there. And it just brought back, you know, to my memory, all the great trips we made in CONCACAF qualifying, which is, um, I remember the conversations, you know, when Jurgen Klinsmann took over as manager with the United States team and, and, you know, trying to impart, and I, I know he appreciates it at this point, how this is not European qualifying. This is not a, you know, this is not the coach trip, you know, of an hour and a half from the train station. This is a cultural shift. This is going up to, you know, 33 degrees centigrade and getting no sleep in your hotel because they're going to be banging, you know, trash cans outside. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I, some of my fondest memories, certainly in qualifying and, of course, the World Cup's overseas. But uh, I just I enjoyed what you and Landon were talking about, because that particular night uh, at halftime of that game in Honduras, In retrospect, it's easy to say they were a whole bunch of chicken littles, but I mean, there was serious conversation on strings on part with with some serious soccer people like where do we go now had the United States only had two points after three matches. And of course, all of that's forgotten because everything's (laughs) solved, you know, nothing's nothing washes away that, you know, more than three points, but
0: it is interesting because it was just 45 minutes of soccer, but it was four goals. And things can change so fast in World Cup qualifying. As Jurgen Klinsmann knows, in two games in the last cycle, he went from what seemed like a pretty decent position as the U.S. coach to being fired. And I, I know people were talking about that possibility uh, with Greg Burhalter at halftime. But, you know, things things Art saying
2: Wenger's name got a lot of play for 15 minutes in some circles. <laughs> I mean, it's all blue sky. And by the way, Jurgen, if that, if that, if that referee in, in Colorado had picked up the ball and walked off the pitch with the ball in the middle of that snowstorm and they were in three points that <laughs> night, I mean, a lot of history in American soccer would have been different perhaps in that cycle.
0: I, I think much in the same way that Jurgen Klinsmann didn't know what CONCACAF World Cup qualifying was like until he experienced it. Some of these U.S. players had the same situation where like Serginio Dest, for example, may play at Barcelona, but he hadn't been through that before in El Salvador. And, you know, some of these other U.S. players hadn't either. And, And... I know you've seen it over the years. What's always stood out to you about those experiences?
2: I mean, it's uh, this particular team, it, it's the conflict between the, the CVs, the resumes, and the reality. Um, I mean, it, what we've seen so often and what we saw in the second half, I think, for the United States um, against Honduras, and have you ever seen such a dramatic turnaround? I don't know that I've ever seen a team, a national team, you know, have two disparate halves is different. Was Is the ability of the United States, I mean, everybody talks, how do you define the national qualities of a team, and, and and you know, I think that's as as the world becomes uh, more and more polyglot, national teams reflect that in their ethnicity and in their styles and whatnot. It's you can't say German football is this, English football is that, but American soccer has always had. And talking to guys who played for the team, um, when all else failed, we were we were fit, we were in shape, and we could run like hell and work hard. Great American traits, classically, which you need, but. Um, Uh, you know, the the whole cultural experience of going, you know, traveling from, you know, the United States down to uh, Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, um, where there are decades of political and cultural history overlaying this game that you as a 25 year old professional football player may not realize that. Right. And this really came home to me when I was in Havana, Cuba, when President Obama was visiting in 2016, down there for the baseball game between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cuban national team, um, and uh, just and we had to leave before the Stones, who came in three days later. I was talking with a bunch of, of of the Rays players at a reception one night in Havana, and young guys, and you know at the top of their profession, proven guys who would shortly you know, you know advance far into the postseason, but they really didn't have. And it's no knock on them. I mean the. It, it, they weren't alive in the 60s. They didn't understand uh, the Iron Curtain, the the, the Cold War, the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and trying to understand, you know, I, I remember having a, a very couple gratifying conversations just showing why Cubans mistrust the United States because of the Bay of pigs in the cia trying to you know off castro so many times etc and you know we have a residence in the keys and here in 2021 on a regular basis cubans in numbers not seen in years are trying to escape an island and drifting up into the keys still generations later so i think that whole um uh, unfamiliarity with the cultural and political history is is you know if, if you're if you're not dialed into it, the reality of walking into a wall of sound. I I remember standing at field level in Honduras, and I think it was two, the 2009 qualifier. Uh, it was uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's first uh, foray on the road. It was the February match, and I believe it was the 86th minute. Honduras took the lead, the goal down to the left side. You were there, I'm sure, right? And I yeah. was standing pitch level because I, I was getting ready to do a post game flash report for it, and we weren't telling the game, but we were sending it back and when that goal went in i have never heard or, f- or sensed a sound or a sensation like that the the audio the volume had a physical quality as if your field of vision was vibrating because of the sonic and i'm not I, i'm not romanticizing or mis misremembering this to quote mark mcguire i mean this is what it was there was a, it was so loud it was so fervent and, and i think in honduras i don't think there's any You could probably normally dial down the anti-Yankee animus a few notches. I don't think it's pronounced there as it might be in some other nations. But there's so much at stake in these countries um, for these qualifiers. It's unlike Germany packing up to go play Romania. I mean, it's just, you know, you know, you're going to have a home and home. You're going to, you know, get your point on the road, come back and beat their pants off. It's not like this. It's hammer and top every time. Yeah.
0: No, definitely. I, if I had asked you back in 2009 where you thought the U.S. men's national team would be in 2021, what, what would you have thought about that and where this U.S. team is now? And th- that includes the idea that like you have a lot of young players playing at really big European clubs, but they haven't really achieved much yet. Yeah. uh with this u.s team and we're coming off the u.s men not qualifying for the last world cup which i don't know if either one of us would have predicted in well,
2: 2009 you know and 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 really that that was i I was happy to see the outrage and the anger that night i i was working jeremy Shap and i were taping something for e60 in new york and unfortunately when the espn didn't have a piece of that coverage it was 2017 right and um Driving back from New York City and we I did a phone hit on Sports Center and I was talking to Taylor Twelman and whatnot at that particular night. And I think I made the comment on the air, if you're a proper footballing nation, you gotta be really pissed off about this. And not in a visceral um, emotive and, 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 uh, you know, immediate reaction, hot take kind of way. I mean, this is unacceptable being I mean, with 330 million people. If we can't field an 11 in this region where there are three, three and a half slots, we we need to really study up on it. But if you said 2000, I would say, if you'd asked me in 2010, after, you know, we had gone, the United States had gone uh, to, to the round of 16, um, on reflection, and of course, that year, if you remember, I don't remember the particulars of the draw, but I remember the observation: we would never would have had a better draw in my lifetime if we advanced beyond that that that, that yep. round of sixteen match. But still, that's an accomplishment. I mean, people forget how did how did England do in the nineteen ninety four World Cup? <laughs> they didn't come here. I mean, <laughs> stuff like that happens. I mean, how many nations have won the World Cup? I think it's eight. It's the most exclusive club in the world. Yeah. Um. And you talk about having all these uh, players on European clubs and you talk and you know this well. And, and it's the one thing I, I don't think that Ted Lasso captures about the reality of of, of of the Premier League or even the championship, which is that especially if you're American. And I think that especially part might be diminished. But in, in European football, in the top leagues, your job is on the line every time you put on your boots in training, in training. That's where it comes. And you know we don't have that yet in this country culturally. I mean, when big names come back to MLS, as they did, and in, in the wake of, of prior World Cups, and sign deals for money, that's they're going to be. You know, I'm not paying you six million dollars a year to sit on the bench. You're going to be in there. Right. So that that part I think is needs to be appreciated and reflected upon. And you're right; the, the players with the with the big club ties have to continue to win their win their playing time. Um, right. But to be where we are, uh, we you know, we can say that we carry U.S. passports 10th in the world, I think, is a hell of an accomplishment on reflection. I, I, and it's good to be angry a little bit at times. It's good to have goals. It's good to call the people that are bringing their hands at halftime of USA Honduras a bunch of chicken littles and get it together. <laughs> We're going to be fine. Um, we've come a long way. I think we really yeah. have. And, and and you have to understand until you can look down every side street as you know, you and I have seen as we've traveled the world and see games being played 11 o'clock at night for the hell of it. You don't see that a lot of places here. You know, we're still right. packing kids into the back of minivans, um, yeah. but we're seeing, we're seeing an appreciation. It's a deeper, wider player pool and we're all better for it.
0: Did you watch this summer's euros at all? And I, I want you to help answer a question for me. Someone told me that ESPN at one point tried to bring you back for some soccer work. Is that accurate?
2: <laughs> I did watch parts of the Euro. I was actually watching the day that Eriksson went down and I just like was yeah. real time texting with some people involved in that. And uh, that's your worst nightmare. Those pictures. I could tell you the greatest challenge is how to deal with the unknown. You don't control the feed. It's a matter of taste versus news. And this is it, it, an un unimaginable thing to try and manage uh, as to your other question yeah there, there had been a uh, an inquiry uh, when it was the 2020 uh tournament to be played in 2020 but i had just you know turned the page in my life and career and it you know it wasn't the six weeks of the tournament uh and at the time it would have involved you know they had very ambitious plans to actually be set up this pr- prior pandemic of course before the world changed um mm-hmm. as you well know it's not just the the tournament it's the reporting and the preparation you do leading up to it so that everything is second nature and i just wasn't in the position to make that commitment i was very flattered i have a lot of very good friends very very much still involved in the, in the productions of the games there in uh, rosenfeld chris Alexopoulos, taylor twelman people i've traveled the world with and uh taylor and i still talk about our snap trip to cyprus a few years ago when we were supposed (laughs) to go to eastern ukraine except they were shelling the stadium thank you
0: Oh, you know, yeah, I do remember I, that To
2: cover this sport internationally is is just, as, you know, as you well know And somebody else is paying your way most of the time I mean, it's the best thing in the world, best gig in
0: the world I love it, absolutely love it still and Before I get back to some soccer stuff, just kind of fill our listeners in Where are you these days? What are you up to? Where am I? I'm here
2: and I'm there uh, I'm Like Roy Kent, I'm bleeping everywhere um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that character He's, of course, the, the big hit of Ted Lasso, yeah Uh, John Terry with a sense of humor, Um, (laughs) but I'm very involved. I, we were chatting before we uh, started committing this to uh, digital archives. Uh, I'm working with a former colleague of yours, B.J. Schechter, who's the professional in residence at my alma mater, Seton Hall University. We've done a number of things in sports media to enrich the student experience. Bob Costas has been very generous with his time in the past. We've done uh, uh, panels and programs. And I, I'm hopeful that we can formalize a lot of what we're doing there in, in the not-too-distant future. Um, I'm a grandparent. Um, we've relocated out of Canada we have a place near the grandkids and we also have a place in warmer weather and um it's just good to um not not have to first thing you do in the morning is roll over grab your phone and see how your life's been complicated by everything that happened <laughs> on your phone since you got up to pee at three in the morning
0: <laughs> so you've been part of the history of soccer in the u.s so you have uh, a good perspective on its growth the growth of soccer in america I I think you can see more soccer on U S television now than ever before, but it's also on a lot of different streaming platforms and behind a lot of different paywalls. What are your thoughts on the current situation with soccer on TV here? That USA Honduras match I watched on Univision
2: and my Spanish is not nearly as good as yours, but I got enough of what I needed to know. And I'm, I'm dual screening off, off, you know, ESPN.com But it felt like going back to the '80s. Where's the bloody game? And it was on Paramount Plus, and I could have done the skeevy thing, which is sign up and then cancel. Uh, and I may eventually sign up because they've got all the great Champions League stuff. But I, you know, my wife and I have that monthly reckoning: What are we paying for streaming? I, we actually <laughs> discovered we were we were each paying separately for Disney Plus. Like, what the hell's going on here? It's not even included with my pension. I, we're not going to pay for this twice. Um, but. You're, you know, it's the same problem that NBC had with the Olympics. They took the Olympics, loaded it into a shotgun, and, and, and you shot it out into the content universe. And you might think of it, if you're delivering that content as a bonus to the consumer, there are a lot of choices. But I mean, even Netflix realized, I remember reading some comments recently from one of their executives, they're trying to simplify their landing page. And simplify the choices their algorithms present to you, because as much content as is being produced, it's, you know, the golden age of television has now become the platinum age of streaming you're overwhelmed. I mean, I can make a joke. The reason I retired was to sit and binge all day because I couldn't finish watching everything that word of mouth brings me. I should watch. And that was the problem with the Olympics. It was so diffused. You had to educate yourself at a certain point. Like, is it really that important? I have to learn the landscape and then go find it. And the same can be true with, with soccer. Um, And it's because different federations control different and different uh, licensing companies control different rights. Oh, Bob, are we about to back into the FIFA scandal of 2015? I mean, that's where part of that was, especially in South America. That's what that crap was all about. Right. Um, so it is diffused. It's not centralized. It's not, you know, that like you know, that there's Sunday night, you know, uh, football on NBC, there's Sunday night baseball on ESPN. And so where is this next qualifier? And it's, that's a problem, but it's also, listen, you know, it's it's one of the benefits of capitalism and long may it wave. But it's it's frustrating. And I, I was I had flashback moments that night of the Honduran match uh, recently saying where the hell. I, OK, it's on Paramount Plus. Is there a workaround here? Because I'm the cheapest bastard in the world. You know? <laughs> and There was, you know, watch it in Spanish and follow it, in, you know, in English on the Internet. But I, I, I think, look, the one thing the dollar is going to trump all. And um, and no pun intended with the last administration. And so, uh, you know, the sport will grow with more money flowing through it, um, hopefully legitimately and accounted for. So I don't think that's ever going to change. You're going to see, you know, especially uh, in this hemisphere with all the different confederations and their rights. I mean, trying to negotiate the rights for a game in Mexico. I, I remember some of the horror stories that I would hear from some of my colleagues who were involved in the business side, you know, and some of them, they want what for what? No, we're not doing <laughs> that. You know, and just there's stories about the next round of qualifying. Well, it will not be qualifying. The United States, in all probability, it's not, it's not, you would know better. It's not yet official, official that the U.S. will have a a, a, a by birth into the next cup, but it's, it's all- not
0: official, official. It's basically assumed. Yeah. So what what are U.S. national club
2: uh, national team games worth after Qatar or Qatar? Right. However, we're going to pronounce that now um, because they, they're qualified. And so right. you know, I, I, I've seen accounts that, you know, the ESPN won't be part of the bidding for that. The number is X, number is Y. And others say, well, why would you pay anything for it? Because they're glorifying friendlies.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, they so got to figure he, out what they're even going to do during that stretch.
2: Exactly, uh, and that's dangerous, as we know. I mean, you know, if you're not <laughs> competitive matches, you know. Uh, but the the business side of soccer, as as we saw vividly in the la- over the last decade, is as entertaining as the on field side. Uh, and you know, I-, I loved all the righteous hand wringing and posturing in the in, in the wake of the sudden demise of Super League because you know damn well if they could have slided it through a little bit quieter um you know if the right people could have been greased it would have gone through i mean all this concern for the fans oh come on kiss my (laughs) wrinkled irish please i mean you think the fans really matter at the end of the day all right somebody you know the legendary clubs that you know yes okay if the best deal is on the table, they're going to take the best. And you hear people involved with Super League saying, oh, we'll try and bring it back. And they will. They may succeed. They will.
0: Yeah, they will. I I mean, what I would say, I guess is, and there obviously was a huge fan revolt, at least in England, uh, against the Super League. And it died after two days. But, I still think if they had been smarter about how they structured the idea of the Super League and it wasn't just 15 permanent spots for these 15 teams, it was just a couple of teams that they were going to get in on merit, that I, I, I think it could have gone over better. And I actually kind of liked the idea that part of the Super League was all of the clubs agreeing to spending controls because right now you've got nation states funding man city psg and oligarch funding chelsea and those three teams are starting to have a gap at least in the ability to buy players when barcelona can't even afford messi and so he has to go to one of the few clubs that can afford him psg that's not great
2: yeah of course you know the idea of uh financial fair play, uh, according to whom and audited by whom. It's like Hollywood accounting. <laughs> you now, How much is two plus two? What do you want it to be?
0: Well, yeah, Unfortunately... you know,
2: it, 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 it's a shame that that, that you know the, the the golden era, the platinum era of Barcelona, just you know just ran headfirst into the realities of like you can't spend your way out of a problem. It's the the bill is due, and here it is.
0: Yeah, they're a billion dollars in debt. It's absolutely ridiculous, and and how they manage that situation. Yeah. Um, were you surprised that ESPN chose to pay more than a billion dollars for La Liga rights over the next eight years? I mean, I don't
2: know what what those are worth, but I do. I, I know that that shows a great confidence in 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 the growth of streaming. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't surprised because I mean the, the one differentiator now is, is not what I did aside from my soccer, which is a studio and journalism and news and, and looking at issues. It's live events. I mean, live events will define the business success of of anyone in the in the in the content business, and there are only so many of them. And so you have to spend and spend judiciously, you know. I wish they were of a mind, and or at least the corporate overlords had had given them that, that kind of leeway uh, back when uh, in 2011. Of course, that that deal was cooked in for for the World Cup. I mean, it, you know, frankly, that reshaped the uh, the last chapters of my professional career. I mean, we we yes, been to retain the uh, World Cup rights. You know, I I saw you know there was a way forward to to doing a lot of different things, but content is where it's at. Um you have you know that's why the significant uh, American football deal for the NFL I mean that that's a huge feather in Jimmy Pitaro's cap that they have that and can build on that. Um and I think that The next challenge uh, in the production of all of this, I mean, acquiring the rights is one thing. But you saw with American football, the Monday night game, as you and I are are, are taping this uh, this this week, was the ESPN two Peyton and Eli Manning experience, Mm -hmm. which I thought was marvelous. Now, the great challenge is how do you sustain it and make it better? But I, I just reading today that. I mean, Amazon is looking for some of uh, all well, their uh, international uh, soccer rights. You know, they had an EPL deal, uh, which uh, led to, you know, you talk about feeding a business. The EPL deal that Amazon had in the UK, I think, drove a huge increase in their Amazon Prime memberships. Yeah, you know, I, I, my big problem this week was that Amazon shipped something too soon for me. You <laughs> know, I'm I'm not going to jump on the Amazon hate train because I mean I applaud business success. Yeah, they got some things they got to work on. Nobody's perfect, but the point is, I saw them talking about innovate. In, how, how will you know with all the they've acquired different other um, leagues uh, for different international windows of distribution? But they want to take an innovative approach to to televising it, and that's the next. That's the next hurdle. That's the next frontier. It's, uh, you know, this yeah. you got 90 minutes and the field is only so big and, it can, you know, you can basically cover it with two cameras if you want to. But it's the information, it's the integration, it's the audio, it's talking to people during the match if such a thing is possible. Um, you know, good luck, you know, old school football coaches in Europe. I mean, no, I don't see that happening soon. But you can, you have to get on the road to doing things like that to make it more attractive to people. But it all starts with having the rights And drawing people to your product into your, as Amazon did, you know, uh, if you've got La Liga and it sustains itself as one of the top five leagues in the world, bring people into the ESPN 10, plus 10, and then you start poking around, you're going to find a lot of other things.
0: The next MLS TV contract is going to be decided fairly soon here. Do you think MLS will ever be able to truly increase its TV ratings? And if so, how? Well, I don't think, you know, we're at
2: the point where it's not TV ratings. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can, going back a number of years, I know that this was, you would know better than me, but sure it is a point of concern, business, uh, focus, and you might even say obsession on the part of some people in MLS about how the league is promoted, how it's programmed and, and what it rates, but you, these days, uh, well, we're you know, you're not using the, you know, I'm holding up my, 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 two-year-old smartphone that needs to be replaced but if it doesn't fit on here it doesn't matter anymore and it's about you know especially with the demographic of mls you know the, this digitally fluent and social networking uh fluent uh league it's not about tv ready it's about impressions on every different platform it's involving okay. people in, in, in that dialogue so i don't know what the metric is but to it i think it's to rely simply on TV ratings is that's 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 passe. Um of course if you have a good TV rating, you'll ignore that and put out a release that you know Monday night football. And then well, they should. They had a hell of a week this week.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: it's still the best way. The Super Bowl, the big event is still the only way, or a national tragedy is the only way for it to gather America around the campfire as one to watch that. But it's it's you know, sports is is you know the major sporting event is the only trigger left for that
0: i do want to step back here because you mentioned i remember the day i think it was 2011 when when fox sports got the world cup right i remember too ESPN, <laughs> uh well you and i traded messages that day and yeah. you knew instantly how much of an impact that was going to have on your career i think because you had put so much into the amazing coverage of the world cups uh I'm thinking also of sort of the leap in 2010 with South Africa and how ESPN covered that, and then again yeah. with 2014 in Brazil. And it doesn't get talked about much these days, but as of last year, the U.S. government is alleging in writing that that this was illegal something was done. Like, they're going after a former Fox Sports executive yeah, who ended up in a i
2: I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... The, the the fix was in and um you know finally forensic accounting is I'm not surprised uh but it is what it is. It it it'll make a good documentary one day or a scripted drama. Um I mean I remember um oh I've been I'm not actively in the game. So who was the the CONCACAF official um Jeffrey Webb Fate put us on the same flight out of San Pedro Sula to Miami, I think to Miami one day for like two or three hours, and it was just starting to percolate. Yeah. And I'm saying, I got two hours here. How am I going to use these two hours? You know, it's like uh, yeah, I, I so Try to edge near it, you know. He, you know, it was it was like trying to. You know, he's playing keep away. Ole, I could hear in his mind, ole, ole, keeping the, uh, you know. And then a couple of years later, boom, there he is. I think he took a plea deal, and and mm-hmm. whatnot. but like, um, we all look. We all knew for years. We've talked about this. Every, we all knew that there was FIFA was walking into it. You know, dealing with FIFA, you're walking into a fixed casino, or you know, and trying to get TV rights. This, you know, it, it was surprising now but and i don't know where that legal case stands i mean are they you know are they going to expand the investigation i, I, I mean I do it's know still that my,
0: open that's all i know
2: yeah my my good friends you know michael davis and uh and, and roger bennett gave a, a a a golden blazer and i'm proud to have been the first recipient they gave one to, to loretta lynch for yes her <laughs> i mean which is one of the most surreal <laughs> Stories in the history of American jurisprudence that a sitting attorney general and I have the same glittering disco jacket hanging in our respective closets. I hope she kept ours. Mine's in an honored place.
0: Oh, shoot. That's great. Um, I mean, you have always been a hard news guy. You hosted Outside the Lines with so much great investigative reporting. I always thought it was frustrating during my seven years with Fox Sports that as the World Cup rights holder in places like Russia, for example, Fox refused to do any sort of investigative reporting on Russia or soccer corruption in Russia or anything like that. What do you think about all this as a journalist? And should a World Cup rights holder cover all the stories? Well, I think clearly
2: the answer is should is, is yes. And I will point you to 2010. When our reporting in South Africa was, I mean, if you were to draw up a pie chart of why that was an important World Cup for us, I mean, part of it will be it acclimated American television habits to a a World Cup as an event, as an immersive event. Um, In the great words of Jeffrey Mason, who I one of Rune's boys, a very good friend, executive producer of so many great events, sense of place. We gave you that. We gave you the, the tournament what it meant to South Africa. But we told you the backstory of a nation that only 20 years earlier had officially still had apartheid and had just then released Nelson Mandela from prison. I mean, I got an opportunity during that World Cup to interview Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I mean, we went hard and deep at all these stories to the point where I mean, there were some grumblings among some of our South African local hires, like, oh, enough, enough. I mean, we're, we've moved 20 years on. And, you know, I see their point um, that it would feel that way. Um, Reporting about corruption in a nation, especially I like I have some experience in doing some reporting on the Russian mafia. And you tread very lightly in doing that, especially in country, because there are dozens and dozens of journalists who have been killed doing that. Right. Uh, and I know I, I point towards the courageous stuff that my friend Jeremy Schapp has done uh, in, in Qatar, looking at just the uh uh, the conditions there for the workers, from I mean, it, it's just horrible, and there there has been progress in it. So the answer, yeah, that's a long answer to your question. It can be dist- distilled down to one word: you should do that. But at the same time, um, I mean, I think the whole word journalism and the definition of it has been not to the better redefined over the last several years just looking at our, you know, domestic political situation. You know, and there's there's advocacy journalism and, and and you know, I'm not sure what the numbers would tell you. I suspect they're trending in the wrong direction in the viewing public, the consuming public, the fan public for that sort of, of material. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it, but everything here is about clicks. Everything here is about metrics. Everything here is about economic success. And if it's going to be a turnoff or if it's going to be just as importantly, expensive to report. That's a consideration. I mean, mm-hmm. especially for electronic journalism, this is not cheap. I mean, uh, you know, I remember the story uh, back in 2017 that um, Steve Fenner reported for E60 on the uh, Syrian national football team. And yeah. that took them 10 months to report six countries. They traveled Literally in Malaysia, Europe, all over, um, to report that. I don't know with the economics of 2021 that that story would get greenlighted today. It sh- editorially it should be, but practically it's difficult. And and those were flush times. That was a golden age. So now you're in a new reality of what, it, of, of what uh, networks and companies are dealing with. And I was saying publicly when the pandemic hit back in March and April of 2020, I said, when the, once the green eye shade boys and girls get a hold of what we're saving as an industry by doing all these games offsite, not traveling people, these changes are here to come and they are largely here to come. I mean, you hear the frustration. I'm a huge Met fan, and um, and I love their TV booth. I think it's the best in the business. And I hear Gary Cohen and Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez, um, the polite word is "bitch," about the fact they're calling. They're <laughs> still. I think they they covered two road trips this year because of COVID. But uh, the the rich clubs will go back to traveling. But a lot of clubs. I mean, MLS, uh, even before the pandemic, then uh, I would think a majority of clubs call road matches off monitors.
0: Um, Yeah, no, of course. Yeah.
2: And so that's just an example of how money dictates it. Um, And then you have to maintain the relationship with the host government uh, for obvious reasons. Um, It's very delicate. It's tough. It's expensive and it's delicate. And um, corporate folks and corner offices might say, how is this helping us? Well, the truth is always helpful.
0: But no.
2: <laughs> the profit line rules
0: here. It was a story by Pablo Mauer in The Athletic interviewing Alexi, who just visited Doha as part of the FIFA Legends group that Johnny Infantino has built over the last few years. It includes uh, Ronaldo Fenomeno from Brazil. Um, Tim Cahill, uh, Jared Borghetti actually stood next to Alexi, the Mexican player, uh, the uh, sort of team photo they had. And basically, and Alexi was straight up with Pablo about how their FIFA is trying to convince these former players to support a World Cup once every two years, which is the new push.
2: (laughs) I mean, you know don't don't get angry at the super league get, just get angry at at you know this is the ugly side of capitalism I mean, it, it, don't you have enough flipping money
1: Ooh, I mean, so you're
2: you, going to have a super think league, you're you have a by any world cup and then you're going to have what a sixty fourteen champions league i mean what where do we stop <laughs> you know and by the way is
0: anyone speaking up for the poor players uh, they're not apparently poor. not they're but not poor but they're know. not organized the, yeah. the players unions are uh, a shadow in soccer of what they are in yeah. the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. And I I do wonder at what point what would cause the the soccer players to actually form a stronger union. You know, right now, part of it's you're, you have players divided by countries. Uh, some countries have stronger soccer players' unions than others. Spain actually has a stronger one than most. But it also seems like the the superstars in soccer, the players kind of don't really care that much about uh organizing. And why, why would it's... you if it's you know, I
2: I've got mine. <laughs> I mean, it's some of its human nature. You, you know, is there a soccer Kurt flood out there? Yeah, and that's I don't a great know question. There is. But I mean, you talk about, you know, we almost had a player die from a concussion, Christoph Kramer, on 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 the on the field in, in 2014, and and you know eventually it leads to what uh you know acknowledging you can have a fourth substitution pre-COVID for head injuries. Oh geez, okay, fine. But are we really addressing the damage? I mean, I know the U.S. Soccer Federation with their recommendations on youth soccer and heading and whatnot. But I mean, if 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 a near fatality in front of a billion people live on television, you know it takes that long to affect a minor change. What will? You know, you want to, you want a right. systemic change. You know, with money at stake, you know, right. lives. Oh, no, we got players lined up. We can always go sign up, you know, a couple of dozen more. I mean, players are the, are are the, are the currency, and
0: they're dispensable. Couple more questions here with Bob Lee. Really appreciate you taking this much time. This is fun. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, do you think FIFA has reformed much in the last few years post giant scandal?
2: Oh, geez. Well, in relative terms, yes, but what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to have gotten worse than what they had <laughs> un, under under hair blotter, but I mean, it's still it, not nearly as transparent as it needs to be. I mean, and I'm not covering it closely, but I'm just following it at a distance. Um, it's still you know, the system, I mean, ask someone involved with women's soccer, that question. And I don't think, you know, they, I think they'll, their apogee of, uh, of uh, arched eyebrows will be a lot higher than mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, It's getting better, but uh, don't hold your breath.
0: <laughs> and then just whether it's soccer or other sports, who are some of the people in the sports TV business whose work you enjoy the most these days?
2: Oh, geez. Well, you mentioned Alexi. Uh, always love watching him on a match because it just brings to mind all the the great fun we had, and I, I still stay in touch with Taylor Twelman. I mean, three yeah. of us working together, we had a, had a whole bunch of fun. I mentioned the Mets booth, the, the, that that booth of Cohen, Darling, and Hernandez um, is is great, and and with a team that melts down and, ha- and 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 you know always has its gun pointed at its own toe. Uh, they walk that fine line that Alexi alluded to on something much more important of be, they're able to talk about and allude to things without coming out and basically, you know, shotgunning their own livelihood there. And it's, it's, it's an impre- And plus when they just start talking about the team and, and, and extraneous things, it's highly entertaining and it's, 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 you know, when it's something you watch, you know, 80 to 90 times a year, at least it's, it's fun. Um, uh, there's just, you know, uh, I, I I always make a point of checking in every day, seeing what the undefeated is offering online because they have some some of the best long form things, um, and uh, you know, I I just I watch, I watch the podcast world, and I'm just I'm fascinated uh, about the volume, and I I wonder about, I wonder how people make their way through the the forest of content, uh, and how how. Yeah. I I will say this in my my work with students, um, you know, trying to just impress upon them the necessity to to be a seven or eight tool player, not a five tool player that you need a complete suite of skills and you have to be entrepreneurial about your own career from a very young age. No one's going to do what, you know, I was fortunate to do, which is you know, when my second or third job out of college, find a place and be find a home for 40 years and yeah. and grow, you know, in concert with the growth of the company. I I mean, I won the lottery in so many respects and I appreciate that every day. Um, but that career path is not something that this current economy, you you need to be creative. You need to, you know, you need to be uh you know, you need to be a number six out there, you know, knowing which way to go, when, stopping it, and, you know, making the, the good Hollywood ball down the wing. Um, you've got you've got to be entrepreneurial about it. and And the people that do that, I think, are the ones that catch my attention.
0: Bob Lee spent 40 years at ESPN, where he made a big impact on making the World Cup a legitimately big time event in the United States. He did a lot of other stuff outside of soccer, obviously, over the years, too bob thanks so much for coming on the show
2: brother this has been fun anytime i often think of that dinner when you the late tony gachigo and i had in frankfurt sitting there and we didn't know what was coming next out of the kitchen but it was a fun night but it's nights like those that make you realize it's the grandest game and it's the tightest family and it's neat and i appreciate sharing it with you
0: thanks for listening to football with grant wall i'd like to thank bob lee as well as producer and pundit chris whittingham You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my new newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including a big feature on Jesse Marsh from Germany and on-location stories for every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier. Just went to all three of them in El Salvador, Honduras, and Nashville. There's a lot of good stuff in there, so check that out. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support with subscribing to that. I'll see you next time.